Good evening, and welcome to Nighty Night with Rabia Chaudhry. Bedtime stories to keep you awake. I'm DJ Lubell, the show's producer. Tonight's tale reminds us of a very important lesson. Even as we progress as a society, evil tends to never change. Please enjoy the red light. Once upon a time, there was a brave woman who wrote a letter to you in the hopes that they could save your life. Hello, whoever you are. My name is Danica Burakova. I'm a life systems engineer on the Talus IQ ship bound for the new colony on Talus. Just like you, I woke up before I was supposed to, while everyone else was still in cryosleep. If you're reading this, I'm dead. But if you're reading this, you don't have to die. Before you write me off as a madwoman, read the logs and the transcripts, and then get ready to fight for your life. Danica's Log, December 20th, 2300. His smiling face was the first thing that I saw. I felt like I was dying when I emerged from my cryostasis pod. The first breaths I sucked in after so long, just stabbing my lungs, making my chest feel like it was either going to collapse or explode. We locked eyes, and his gray irises gave me something to focus on besides my pain and nausea. There was a persistence in that gaze, and I was reminded of a bird I saw once with unblinking eyes, but I can't remember what kind. He said, Hey there, Sleeping Beauty, you're finally awake. He looked like he was in his mid to late thirties. He had hair the color of sandpaper, pale skin with a bluish hue underneath, like someone who hadn't seen the sun in years. He kept his gaze on the floor, avoiding my nakedness, and extended a piece of fabric to me. I was confused and just stared at it. It's a towel, he said. He told me it was okay and tapped the lid of the pod with his finger. There was a warning written there. Stop. Do not exit your pod unassisted. To avoid injury, please wait at least 30 minutes before attempting to walk. Confusion is normal. Full memory returns within 60 minutes in most cases. If it does not, please see your medical unit. I suddenly remembered what the fabric was for and grabbed the towel, wrapping myself up tight. Then he asked me if I was scared. My voice didn't feel like it was working yet, so I just nodded. He had a goofy and disarming grin and made me feel relaxed. Then he held out a hand for me to shake and introduced himself as Mac Fogarty. I shook his hand, but when I tried to introduce myself, the sound came out all scratchy. My throat hurt. I finally managed to croak that I was Danica. He already knew this, of course. He knew the names of everyone asleep in every pod. Mac explained that my cryostasis pod had malfunctioned and pointed to a small red maintenance light on the front cover of the pod. The rest of the pods up and down the room had bright green lights. A date flashed above the light. It was December 20th in the year 2300. My heart dropped. I had only been under for five years. The journey was another 150 light years away. What if my pod couldn't be fixed? What if I couldn't go back into cryostasis and had to live out the rest of my natural life on this ship and then die before we reached our destination and before everyone else, including the people I loved, were awoken? My heart was pounding in my ears, and I felt lightheaded and ready to throw up. Mac must have seen the panic in my face, but he reassured me that he could take care of it. 
He pointed to his badge, but I couldn't read the words. They were too small, and my eyes were still swimming because they hadn't adjusted yet. But then Max said, maintenance engineer. He told me not to worry and that he could fix the pod, that is, if I was a good girl. My entire body got stiff at that weird remark, but then he smiled and said he was joking. When he asked me my position, I couldn't remember it. It took me a few moments to remember that I was a life systems engineer. He should have known that anyway, but maybe he hadn't checked my profile. I felt stupid standing there, trying to recall what I did in my career before the cryo chamber. Mac reassured me this was normal, that my entire system was going through a thawing, and that I was just experiencing a touch of freezer burn syndrome. I have a faint recollection of the training that we got about that. I remember learning that our thoughts might be kind of jumbled when we first woke up, and to take it easy. Luckily, Mac had the training manual on freezer burn syndrome handy, and he gave it to me to review so I wouldn't be blindsided by anything I experienced. On the back, there was a list of symptoms to watch out for. Confusion, memory loss, anger, violent outbursts, suicidal ideation. Reading that list was scary, but then I remembered them telling us the syndrome was extremely rare. At least, that's what I thought I remembered. That was the thing about this condition. You could have false memories. Did I create this one? I suddenly felt exhausted and needed to lie down, so Mac brought me to this room. I noticed that his face was smooth and freshly shaved, his hair was perfectly gelled back, and that he smelled really nice. The scent was familiar, but whatever name attached to it wouldn't come to me. It wasn't until after he left the room and the smell still lingered that I remember what it's called. Juniper. He smelled like juniper. I really hope I don't have the syndrome and I just need to rest. Danica's Log, December 20th, 2300, Nighttime. After a longer nap than I intended, Matt gave me a tour of the open quadrants of Talus IQ. If we had all woken up together, we were supposed to get group orientation, but in the current circumstances, Mac would have to explain everything to me. He was mildly entertaining for someone who had been in isolation for so long. I found myself laughing at his corny jokes several times. He showed me his favorite coffee machine in the kitchen next to the Thornton Lounge. According to him, out of the 20 identical machines, 19 made coffee that tasted like crap. He preferred the coffee machine that was at the very end of the counter. He placed it there himself so he wouldn't get it confused with the others. After we had our coffee, he insisted on showing me the horticultural wing that he called the solarium. I couldn't care less about plants, but I kind of felt sorry for him. After all, he'd been alone so long. So I pretended to be interested as he pointed out the various varieties of vegetation and flowers. He beamed with pride as he showed me his most prized creation, a hybrid tea rose that he bred himself. On each petal, a burst of yellow color pooled in the center and poured out gradually into a black outer edge. Each dense bloom was sprinkled with white specks like stars. I call this hybrid Celestial Dusk, Mac told me. He cut a stem and put the bloom in my hand. I stared at the flower, not sure what the gesture meant, and Mac asked me what was wrong. Didn't I like roses? When I looked up at him, I expected to see a half-smile, a grin of some sort. Instead, his lips were stretched into a thin line and his forehead was all bunched together. Two lines of sweat formed by his temples. For a brief second, I felt fear and froze. But then, Mac's face suddenly softened, as if he didn't mean for me to catch his anger. 
Or maybe, maybe he wasn't angry and I was confused. My brain still coming out of freezer burn syndrome. I just wasn't sure. And now that I'm back in my room, that rose is sitting in a glass of water, beautiful and vibrant. And yet, for some reason, its presence makes me feel uneasy. I'm reminded of an old fairy tale I used to love as a little girl. The one where the enchanted rose's death is linked to doom. God, I hope I'm back in cryostasis before it dies. Mac hasn't said yet how long the repair will take since he's still evaluating the machine, but I think my hopes of it being fixed today are no longer viable. Being an engineer myself, I offered to help him with the machine when I heard him swearing at it, but he shooed me away and insisted that he's the only one clear to do this work. All I can do is wait. Danica's Log, December 21, 2300. Warning. Sleep here is so strange, disoriented. It doesn't help that there's no sun to keep track of the hours, but what disorients me worse is my dreams. Take last night. Deep in the night, I opened my eyes and saw the outline of a man blocking the light from coming in from the hallway. I squeezed my eyes shut for a few moments. I'm familiar with sleep paralysis. I experienced it a few times as a child, mostly during times of stress. And I've learned that the shadow men might be terrifying, but harmless. When I opened my eyes, the outline was gone, and I drifted back down into sleep. When I woke up again, the clock in my room said it was 8 o'clock UTC, which I mentally translated into 4 a.m. Eastern Time. Not that time held meaning this far removed from Earth. Clocks seemed pretty meaningless here, just like days and nights were meaningless out in the darkness of deep space, but they did help to give some temporal structure to the void of space. I'm still tired, but now that I'm awake, sleep won't return to me. I think I'll explore a bit until Mac wakes up. Chat log session with non-intellectual answer network for crew year version 2300. N-A-N-C-Y. Nancy. Identity verified. Welcome, Danica Burakova. Please note that this is not an artificial intelligence. We are an unintelligent chat system built for query and response. What is the maintenance code for pod 329? Your query returns zero results. Please try again. Pod status 329. Pod 329. Status hatch open. Functioning optimal. What? What are you talking about, stupid machine? I am an unintelligent chat system. Version year 2300. Copyright. Command stop. All right, show me all diagnostic reports for pod machine 329. Retrieving reports. Please wait. Access denied. Security clearance is insufficient for user Danica Burakova. Please contact your security officer for assistance. Uh, I'm literally an engineer for Talus IQ. Check my security clearance again. I have the highest level. Please contact your security officer for assistance. Pod 329 is my pod. I should be able to get diagnostic data on my pod. Please wait. Thank you for waiting. Please contact your security. Ugh, Nancy, you're kind of a bitch. You are. So welcome for the help. Thank you for using NANCY, an unintelligent chat system. Goodbye. Danica's log, December 21, 2300. Midday. Early this morning, I spent hours roaming the halls. I tried getting some answers out of Nancy, but the program was worse than useless, and I got quickly bored just roaming around. The only thing that caught my interest was the inner airlock door, which has a log of recent exits and entrances that appears on a digital display. I was surprised to find that there had been an exit on January 1st, 2300, 
and according to the display, whatever load had left the ship that day weighed 200 pounds. Danica's log, December 22nd, 2300. Morning. I had sleep paralysis again last night. This time, I didn't just see a man's outline in my doorway. I saw the figure move to my bed and stand there above me. But I couldn't see a face. It was too dark and he was backlit. I squeezed my eyes shut, but I otherwise couldn't move, couldn't make a sound. But when I opened them again, there was nobody there. My door was closed and the room was dark. I've never had this happen two nights in a row before, and I'm terrified that it will become a regular thing. In the morning, a banging on my door woke me up, and I opened it to see Max's normally patient face pinched in frustration. His arms were crossed and he looked angry. I asked him what was wrong, and he accused me of destroying his rose garden. I had no idea what he was talking about, but then he reached towards me and pulled something out of my hair. It was a rose petal. I stared at that yellow petal for a long time. I felt completely disoriented and tried to remember, had I gotten up at all last night? I hadn't. I was sure of it. Then Mac asked me what I'd done with his pruning shears. I had no idea what he was talking about, but before I could say anything, he started searching my room. I couldn't believe it when he opened my closet door and the pruning shears clattered to the floor. Mac grabbed them and stomped out without looking back. I'm truly at a loss. I have no memory of being in the solarium or taking the shears or anything he was accusing me of. And yet there was the evidence. But what if Mac put the shears in my room? Well, that makes no sense though. Why would he do that? What would he get out of it? And when did he even come into the room? I've lost track of how many times I've reread the freezer burn syndrome manual now. It says the best way to mitigate symptoms is to lower external stimulation as much as possible and meditate, both of which I've tried doing. I just stay in my room as much as I can, but it doesn't seem to be helping. I'm beginning to get scared that I'm losing my mind. Danica's Log, December 22nd, 2300. Evening. I stayed in my room pretty much all day today, trying to avoid seeing Mac after this morning's embarrassing and inexplicable scenario. He must have been busy working on the pod, or he was still angry at me because he didn't come by either, not to check in on me or to invite me to eat with him. I did have to eventually eat, so I snuck out and grabbed a vacuum-sealed sandwich and some dehydrated fruit. On my way back to the room, I took a detour to talk to Nancy again. There's definitely something going on with my security permissions, or Nancy is just plain malfunctioning. I can't even get the most basic information from the stupid machine. Once again, I was denied access to diagnostic reports, and once again, the system incorrectly reported the status of my pod as functioning. Danica's Log, December 23rd, 2300. Today, I realize I have awoken to a nightmare. I avoided Mac yesterday, but of course couldn't go on like this forever, so this morning I decided to try and smooth things over. He mentioned the other day that he hadn't eaten something that was not straight from a package since he was woken up to take place of the previous maintenance engineer. So I told him for dinner I'd make a home-cooked meal with whatever ingredients I could find in the kitchen. Thanks for teaching me how to make pretty decent pierogies, Grandma. It's a simple dish, but hearty and comforting, and it reminds me of home. I set up a table in the Thornton Lounge and removed the empty extra chairs because it depressed me to be reminded of how many others there should have been walking around when I woke up. 
The open space was so drafty and cold, made even more uninviting by the gleaming metal walls of the room. Maybe they were supposed to be reassuring in their strength against the terrors of open space, but instead they felt severe and unyielding. They'd make a person feel even more alone. I felt some relief when Mac walked in. I had barely seen him for the past couple of days. Friendly or not, at least he was another warm body. He had fetched a deep red wine and turned some music on. Something about the way he looked at me across the table, the way he poured the wine and watched me as I broke open the stuffed buns made my face heat up. I realized then that maybe he thought this was a date. What was he thinking, that I'd be interested in a one-night stand before returning to cryostasis? It was ridiculous. I asked about the progress on my pod, and he just shrugged and said he wasn't sure what was wrong. He hadn't figured it out yet. It could take a few more days. Then I asked him about what I'd seen on the airlock screen, that something weighing 200 pounds had been unloaded earlier in the year. He seemed caught off by the question, surprised that I'd been wandering in that area probably. After a few moments, he told me he'd been throwing out the trash. 200 pounds of trash? If that was true, that was a lot of space littering, so I asked him why he didn't just incinerate the trash instead. I guess I pushed his buttons because he got all defensive. Instead of answering my question, he asked me why I was monitoring his every move. He threw a Perosky across the table and virtually growled at me. Who do you think you are anyway, sneaking around the ship, destroying stuff, snooping on me? I totally froze in shock. He had gone from friendly and polite to barely contained rage within a moment. His face was bright red like his head was going to explode at any second. He then popped out of his chair and pushed some buttons on the wall. The music vanished and it was dead silent. He kept facing the wall for what seemed like an eternity. My breath was stuck inside my chest waiting for him to turn back around. But when he finally did, he had a big smile on his face. A big, eerie grin, as if nothing in the minute before had even happened. He sat back down and picked up another bun and took a big bite without saying a word. When he finished, he said thank you and reached out to stroke my cheek. I nearly recoiled from the touch. I had no idea what he was doing. Then he told me he was so happy with me and wished I hadn't made him wait two months for this meal. I didn't understand what he was saying. What did he mean, happy with me? And what did he mean about two months? He repeated what he said, but I couldn't comprehend a word of it. I'd only been awake for a few days now, I told him. Why was I telling him this? I didn't need to tell him this. He already knew that I'd only been awake for three or four days. I mean, I wasn't even sure if it was three or four. The days were blurring together now. No, he said. I've been awake for two months. I thought for a second that maybe he was joking or messing with me, but he wasn't. He was dead serious. His face got sad and he cocked his head and he asked me if I really didn't remember the last two months. He asked me if I remembered our nights together. And that's when I lost all sense of reality. I told him he was lying. There had never been any nights together, ever. He tried to hug me, but I pulled away. He said these were signs of serious freezer burn syndrome, losing time, days, weeks, even months not registering anything, not even our relationship. What relationship, I screamed inside my own head. Then he told me that my freezer burn syndrome was so severe I might need medication for it. It was a psychotic drug, he said, but not to worry, he would supervise me through the treatment. The thought of being at this man's mercy through some kind of psychotic episode made me shake. 
I told him no, I was fine. I was not taking any meds because nothing he was saying was true. Then he got up and motioned for me to follow him to the nearest Nancy console. I watched as he asked the question, what is today's date? The words March 3rd, 2301 stared right back at us. I have truly lost my mind. Two months of my life have been completely wiped from my memory. Then Matt came up behind me and softly told me why Nancy wasn't answering my questions. He said that before I went into cryosleep, I was on probation for my engineering role, that I made too many mistakes and that my security clearance had been revoked. I have no idea what he's talking about. I remember everything but the weeks before we were put into slumber. I never had any issues. I never was reported for any mistakes. I have no memory of getting disciplinary action or having my security clearance revoked. I was a good engineer, and I was good at my job. I knew that. I remembered that. Or did I? Is my brain just making things up now to protect me? After all, there has to be a reason that Nancy won't respond to me. Could this have really happened? It turns out you're not supposed to put people back into cryosleep when they have freezer burn syndrome. There's a high likelihood of not waking up the second time. That's why it's been two months, said Mac, and he hasn't put me back to cryosleep. He can't in good conscience, not while I'm in this condition. He even put fixing the pod on hold, he said, until I was well enough to return to it. I've been in my room for the past few hours, too scared to sleep. I don't know what's happening to me. I don't know what happens at night. How could I lose two entire months? How could I forget being in a relationship with someone? Danica's Log, March 4th, 2301. Morning. I can't keep the day straight anymore. I wrote December 24th in this entry at first, but then had to cross it out. Mac is really sick today. There were eggs in the Perosky, and I didn't know he was allergic. Maybe he told me about the allergy and I forgot. I don't remember. I think I almost killed him. Thankfully, he was aware enough to grab an EpiPen before he succumbed. He sent me a message through the digital communication screens in our rooms. Now he's sick in bed with nausea and diarrhea. But this was it. My opportunity. I had to figure out what was going on. Was I really losing it? I'm pretty sure a prerequisite of losing your mind is not knowing that you've lost it. But still, I want to believe that I'm sane. I have Mac's security badge. I stopped by his room to take him some juice, pretending to care that he was sick, and luckily he was burrowed inside his blankets and didn't see me grab his badge from his table. I'm going to use it to access Nancy and see if I can find out what's going on. With me, with my pod, with everything. Chat log session with non-intellectual answer network for crew year version 2300. N-A-N-C-Y. Nancy. Identity verified. Welcome, Mac Fogarty. Please note that this is not an artificial intelligence. We are an unintelligent chat system built for query and response. Personnel profile for Mac Fogarty. Mac Fogarty, head of pod maintenance for year 2300, age 43. An image of Mac appeared before me. Except it wasn't Mac. Not the one I knew, at least. This guy had walnut brown eyes and a shaved head, tan skin and a full reddish beard. A scowl of concentration where the disarming smile should have been. Who the hell was this? I tried again, and again Nancy spat off the same picture. Then I tried to get my own records. Personal records for Danica Burakova. Danica Burakova, life systems engineer, in good standing. Okay. What's the date today? 
Today is December 24th, 2300. The bottom dropped out of my stomach. Had I not lost two months of memory after all? System activity for Mac Fogarty during the last week. Loading historical activity data for Mac Fogarty. To a layperson's eyes, the report would have appeared to be gibberish, but lucky for me, my ability to read lines of code had not diminished, and what I read was a timeline of suspicious activities. On December 20th, 2300, Mac Fogarty's card was used to remove my security clearance. On the same day, the log showed that Mac's card had been used to set pod 329, my pod, to manual maintenance mode and to initiate the thawing process. Finally, a temporary date override was enacted on December 23rd so that Nancy would report that the date was March 3rd, 2301, just once before reverting back to the correct date again. I stopped breathing. He had been in the system messing around with the manual settings and altering my sense of reality. I asked Nancy for the full diagnostic history for pod 329 and all of the machine health scans for the pod since the beginning of its recorded existence said the same thing. System functional, energy consumption optimal. I couldn't believe it. There had never been anything wrong with my pod. He turned it off. He turned off my pod himself, awoken me from my slumber, and waited for me with gelled hair and a fresh shave. He had been the shadow darkening my door, leaving rose petals in my hair at night and questioning my sanity during the day. I continued to pelt Nancy with questions. I had to figure out what was going on before Mac realized his badge was missing. How many pods are empty right now? Currently, there are three empty pods. A hard lump formed in my throat. Who are the empty pods assigned to? Mac Fogarty, Danica Burakova, and Cyrus Huxley. Cyrus Huxley? I whispered the name to myself. Personnel profile for Cyrus Huxley. Cyrus Huxley, head of pod maintenance for year 2299, age 37. An image appeared, and it was the man I'd spent these last few nightmarish days with. A man with sandy hair, cold gray eyes, and an easy smile. Cyrus wasn't the maintenance engineer for this year. He had been assigned last year. Nancy, can you show me video surveillance from the last time the airlock was used? A video flashed onto the screen. In the recording, Cyrus Huxley, the man who'd called himself Mac Fogarty, struggled with the real Mac Fogarty and wrestled him closer and closer to the airlock. I watched in horror as Cyrus slammed the man's head on the floor over and over again and then dragged his limp body into the airlock. The poor man's body was expelled like trash into deep space. Cyrus murdered the engineer who was supposed to take over from him. It appeared that Cyrus Huxley wasn't ready to go back to sleep. Danica's Log, December 24th, 2300, evening. After my chat with Nancy, I rushed into the pod repository. I wanted to see Mac and Cyrus's empty pods with my own eyes. I pressed the release button on privacy screen after privacy screen, peering into serene, dreamlike faces through the glass. But after going through at least a dozen rows of peaceful sleepers, I opened a privacy screen to find the woman inside was not sleeping peacefully. Her face was blue with the pallor of death, and a deep purple bruise crossed her throat. I recoiled, my heart in my throat, not sure if I was more afraid that she was actually dead 
or that she would suddenly open her eyes and stare back at me. She was the first. After her, I discovered half a dozen others, women who all looked to be around my age, all now beyond the reach of sleep and dreams. One's face was so badly beaten that parts of her flesh rose and dropped in waves of meaty pulp, pulsing in time with the fluid circulation of her pod. Others had long gashes cut into their throats, and the cryogenic solution around them was stained pink. Each one had an unmistakable token pinned to her lifeless chest, a rose with a cascade of sun-bright yellow petals swirling down into a necrotic black frill, speckled with what looked like white stardust. Celestial dusk roses, just like the one slowly unwinding its petals in my room. Bruises that would never heal, flesh that would never decay, women kept in cryostasis as trophies. Cyrus had captured these women even in death under cloches of glass. They were like enchanted roses that would never grow into their fullness and be denied even the natural dignity of decay. I stumbled to my pod in a dreamlike state, trembling all over and drawn to the red maintenance light. It was the only one on the entire ship. I reached out and touched it. Still shaking, I then turned in the direction of the nearest Nancy station, only a few yards away. Using Max Pass, I asked Nancy to turn the manual maintenance mode off. The maintenance light on my pod turned green. I wept at the sight of it. That's how close I had been the entire time. I knew then that I wouldn't be going back to cryosleep, but seeing that green light filled me with a sense of accomplishment all the same. I realized something else in that moment that I was the next in line to be murdered. I'm going to fight to save my life, but if I don't make it, I'm going to do all I can to save yours. This is the most important part, so pay attention. I contaminated the coffee maker he uses, the one with the yellow sticker, with powdered egg whites. I did this for you, to give you time and a fighting chance. With any luck, he'll use it. I also hid all the EpiPens in an air vent in my room. I'm sure people would need them eventually when you all wake up. I hear distant footsteps. He must be feeling better. I don't have much time before he comes for me. I'll try my best to get the bastard, but he outsizes me and my muscles are still weak from being in cryo. I just remembered the bird I saw with the cold, persistent eyes like him. It was an eagle. Have you ever seen how an eagle hunts for fish? It swoops down from the air and scoops one right out of the water with its talons. It's not a fair fight. The fish never sees it coming. I'm leaving these pages for you, so you aren't like that fish. P.S. If you manage to make it back to your pod, can you tell my family I love them when you all wake up together? After reading the pages, they drop from my hands. There are goosebumps all over my body, even though I've long since warmed up from cryostasis. As I stare at the ceiling, memories of awakening flood my mind with diamond-bright clarity. The man who had been waiting for me with his disheveled shirt and crimson face. Juniper mingled with the sour smell of sweat filling my nostrils. His swollen lips, hives on his skin under his sandy hair. Despite feeling my own disorientation, I had a near-immediate desire to help and began running through diagnostic criteria in my mind. After all, as a medic for the Talus IQ, it was my job to help in any medical emergency. As I had looked into his gray eyes, his swollen lips parted, and a pink-tinged strand of spittle spilled down from a gap where he was missing a tooth. 
His hands were clasped and his forearms were covered in bright red scratches. The man took each breath with monumental effort, but still, he had spoken to me. Grotesque and lopsided though it had been, he had also grinned at me. It was hard to understand his words because of his swollen tongue. Still, I had been able to make them out. Hey there, Sleeping Beauty. You're finally awake. This story was loosely inspired by the 1944 film Gaslight, which features a bride who is systematically driven to doubt her sanity by her husband. In the movie, marriage and patriarchal society creates the construct of isolation that keeps the woman off balance and doubting herself. In this reimagining out in deep space, the idea of isolation is explored, and we look at what happens when the person you think will save you turns out to be the very one that puts you in danger. But instead of being rescued by a plucky detective, Danica uses her own investigative skills to regain her sense of mental stability and fight back against the cycle of abuse, terror, and murder perpetrated by this gaslighting con man. Now, in case you missed it, lead writer Katie Bennett cleverly included several references to the film in the story. Talus IQ is an anagram of Alquist, the last name of the murder victim in Gaslight. The Thornton Lounge is named after Thornton Square from the movie, and Nancy, the computer program, is named after the maid in the movie who assists in the gaslighting. In sharing this story with you, we also want to acknowledge that gaslighting is a real form of emotional abuse that has tragic consequences on those it affects. It can be inflicted on its own or in combination with other kinds of abuse. If you are experiencing domestic abuse, you can call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 800-799-SAFE. That's 7233. Or learn more at thehotline.org. Tonight's story was written by K.M. Bennett and Rabia Chaudhry. Nighty Night is executive produced by Rabia Chaudhry and Colin Thompson. It's produced by DJ Lubell. It's sound designed and edited by Anton Doty. Original music by Andrew Gerlicker. Nighty Night is a cast original podcast. <laughs>